Hello, welcome to another episode of I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken Krantz. And I'm Chip Chantry, and I'm back, baby. Yeah, you're back. Long vacation. Chip is back. Yeah. Fans I'm were back. asking where you were. Both of them. Yeah. yeah they were totally concerned. <laughs> <laughs> As always, we have Kahuna behind the boards. What's going on, gents? How are you? Hey. Um, I'm good, man. I'm good. Things are good. Chip, why don't you introduce our guest? Yeah, so uh, we're very excited to have our guest on uh, today. Ken and I have been talking about this for a while. Uh, as I introduce him, Ken, if you don't mind, I'm going to introduce him, uh, Sophia from Golden Girl Style. All right. <laughs> a little story. <laughs> Picture this. It's Philadelphia suburbs, fall of 1994. I'm in high school. I'm at a party and I was Ken. I was in I, I was in the music department. I was with the band and the, the chorus nerds, but I was one of the cool chorus nerds. You know, I mean, we, we were the cool kids we were hanging out and I'm at a party at my butt in my buddy's basement. And I walk down the steps into the basement for the first time. And he's just blasting this out the CD on a boom box. And, you know, I was a grunge kid. I got into fish for a while, but this was the first time I was like, this is my music. This was, I don't know what it is, but this music was made specifically for Chip Chantry. And like this, this, this was it. And it was this guy's debut album with his band and uh, became an instant fan right away. Um, so uh, he, uh, he's originally from my hometown of Philadelphia by way of Boston, Cape Cod. Uh, he's a singer, songwriter, guitarist, harmonica player, integrating the blues and hip hop Grammy nominee, father children's book author artist uh and one of my new favorite christmas musicians uh Ooh. and much much more uh philly's own garrett aka g love thanks so much for coming on the show how you doing man wow man i take take did i, did take I do okay with me when i go <laughs> <laughs> i'll be your hype man i'll do it i swear it's uh, i love it i love it that's great yeah thanks man it's uh that was that that's all true I did. Okay. No lies. No lies whatsoever. I, I have to get this out of the way and then we'll move on because I have to confess something. Uh, and it's it probably creepy, uh, but we've met before. Uh, we, you, and, you and I met before. So Ken and I are both comedians. We're stand up comedians. Not, not in your basement, though. Not in my basement. No, not my basement or my friend's basement. That's you, where you I have remembered that. That's so where I met him. So it's not fully creepy. It's only just it's a not little. totally creepy. But I'm going to tell one more nerdy story. Uh, so I'm a stand up comedian. I'm on the road sometimes. This uh, maybe oh. seven, eight years ago. I don't remember. I was in Buffalo, New York. Beautiful Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, for a week of shows, uh, I'm in the hotel fitness center and I'm just on the treadmill by myself. Nobody else in there, middle of the afternoon. And I'm just going for, I'm almost done my run. And this yeah. guy comes in and he's like a couple of machines down, gets on and starts running or whatever. And I was like, you know, you're running, you're out of the corner of my eye. I was like, I know this guy. Do I know this guy? Like, how do I, how do I know this dude? And, and like, it took like a couple of seconds. I was like, oh my God. That's G Love. Like the G Love is on the machine like a couple of uh, I, 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 This is going to sound ridiculous. I was almost done my run, but I was like, I got to talk to him. I don't want to interrupt him. So I ran an extra three miles that day <laughs> just to like nonchalantly get off, be like, hey, oh, hey. and like Mr. Tr trying to be totally cool. Oh, hey, man, how's it going? I'm a comedian from Philadelphia. And you were super nice. Uh, and we talked for a few minutes. But uh, yeah. And now look so at us. We're best friends now. Look at us now. Do, do you. Uh are you friends with Jeff, my drummer? I, I don't think, I don't think I know Jeff now. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's funny. Cause, um, well, anyhow, it's cool that you do stand up. Cause Jeff, uh, Clemens, the house man drummer right. for special sauce. 
he's just been like rallying for um you know to to get a comedian to open someone to do stand up to open a show instead of having like an opening act for like years and years and years and years right I, i'm a, um, i'm available I'll, just, I'll, I'll I'll say that I'm I'm also available and well, I'm, made, I'm better. You made me laugh. Yeah, see, good. All right, I'm stay not out of this. Medium, stay I'm out of this, Ken. But yes, Kahuna is available I think, too. I think I must be on the elliptical. I must have been on the I elliptical. Think, I think you were on the elliptical. I think I think that's what it was. Yeah, and uh, I didn't uh, want to blow up your I spot. I like that low, low, low impact. My wife it, uh, my wife watches me work out and she's like, "What are you What are you doing?" Like, is that, that's working out to you? She's like, you know, doing this cross, all this CrossFit shit. And then we got the Peloton uh, during, during the pandemic. That was our big splurge during the pandemic because we're home. And, uh, and that's been awesome. Of course, I've kind of fallen off since the weather got nice last summer, but she's on that shit like every day. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. But anyhow, that's part of this, the secret, uh, to staying, uh, you know, productive on the road and in life, right? Exercise. Absolutely. <laughs> now let's, let's start there. Like you, you're on the road, obviously a lot. I mean, you, you're doing tons of shows. Oh, I mean, although I want to talk about that, uh, you know, with the pandemic and everything, just getting back into it, but what's your, do you, do you have a, do you have a, a schedule, like a routine when you're on the road, you're, you're doing a couple of shows, uh, what's your normal, like da- do you have some daily rituals you do? Yeah, it's pretty, it's honestly, it's pretty, the interesting thing about the road is that it's, it's such a bubble and it's such a, uh, it's, it's, I, it's almost like such a, not selfish, but just like, well, I guess the bottom line is that you have a lot of time in your hands. And like I said, you're in a bubble, so you're traveling from city to city. So basically you, know, you wake up on a tour bus and, you know, try to get as much sleep as possible because you're, you have late nights cause yeah. you're working at night. And so, you know, maybe go, so maybe, uh, maybe you went to bed between, you know, rare to get to bed before like three, three in the morning. So, or two in the morning, you know, so between two and four in the morning, probably get to sleep and then probably try and sleep till, you know, noon or, or, or noon or, you know, 10 AM to one, one. And then, mm-hmm. Then, then you go to what we have as a day room. So we usually have a, a hotel room that everybody in the band and crew uses to catch shower. And uh, so I usually get get in a day room last. And then the band goes, band and crew goes set up and load in. And I don't have to do that because uh, that's what you saw me. And uh, yeah, go to the gym. And then go to the gig if I have to do press or radio. And then I do sound check. And then I'll have a VIP meet and greet called the pre show pop off for like nice. anywhere between like two and 40 fans. I do like an hour long like storyteller set. And, uh, and then I'll try and get something to eat and, um, and then catch a nap, a disco nap, try to yep. lay down for like an hour. And then generally get up an hour before the show and I do a meditation. I do, um, a 15 minute zoom call or telephone call with my vocal coach to do like a warm up. Oh, okay. And then I do my hand drawn set lists and, um, and then I, you know, pour a cocktail and have about <laughs> you know, five or 10 minutes to hang out with the band 
And then we kind of, you know, we go up to the front lounge and everyone's kind of making their cocktails, doing and kind of getting ready for the, to walk to the stage and then boom. And then we have a group hug and kind of nothing too heavy, but, you know, to say, yeah, you know, maybe joke around a little bit or just that physical contact coming into a huddle. Oh, yeah. Is, is, is really powerful, even though it's, we don't like to say a prayer or but we might say, let's have a great show. Let's have some fun out there. We're feeling okay. Or, or we'll mess with each other, break each other's balls. And then but just that moment to kind of come together, knowing that we're all going to step out there together and yeah, be on stage. And um, cause that's, that's a kind of a daunting thing every night. You'd think it wouldn't be, but it is. And, uh, and then you go out and, and that's it. And then rock and roll. And then you kind of throw yourself into the show. And yeah. That's kind of what it is. It's like, you're kind of diving off the cliff into the abyss <laughs> and, and hoping that you fly, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And now, now how do you approach, do you approach it differently? Obviously you don't have necessarily have the band there when you're doing a solo show. Do you, is it like a lower energy thing? Do you, do you, yeah, do you approach that differently? Myself. <laughs> yeah. myself. You just talk to yourself. <laughs> I talk to yeah. no, I, I, pay, I pace around. Uh, oh no, but uh, yeah. I mean, it was so any, anyhow, so kind of like, during the pandemic, all that routine shit went out the window because uh, like I'm doing right now, I'm driving myself like I haven't done since like 1993. <laughs> and yeah. um, I have the wife and the kids in the car who thankfully are sleeping. And um, my wife just bought her first NFT. And um, Oh, nice. And, uh, and also like if we're playing pop-up shows like backyard parties, which we've been doing a lot this past year, mm -hmm. I'm setting up the PA and, you know, sound checking and then kind of, so just, I don't have the same amount of time on my hands and I haven't been making as much of a routine thing. So uh, it's changed a little bit, but oh, um, yeah, but, but yeah, before my solo show, it, it's not less energy though. It, it's similar. It's like, I'm, I'm hyped. So I'm kind of, I, you know, you could ask anybody that knows you, like if I have a show day, like it's kind of like on my mind all day. It's not a really relaxing day for me because I know that like everything I'm doing for the minute I get up is geared towards that, you know, two or three hours that I'm going to be on stage that night. So everything that I'm doing and how I'm timing out my day, even to the amount of time I, I use my voice, right. I don't <laughs> talk a lot. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah. I guess you do yeah, have to save my voice. I think that's, that's true. and and you're you've been doing this you know the like thirty or close to thirty years maybe right yeah and yeah. and you, so you still have a vocal coach so you're you're still I, I guess you're you're still perfecting that well well actually so I did no it's more like I have a vocal coach now um, because I didn't for so many years oh, okay. and I just took it for granted but see like it's just like anything else in life. Like after, you know, your twenties, you know, your body's resilient. Like you can party all night and, and do the shows or kind of, you know, you get to be 30, your body starts a little more slow to recover from those kind of nights. And then you get to be 40 and, you know, <laughs> you get a bit hangover. It could last, you know, it could knock you out for a couple of days. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and then, so the, the, the travel and the, four five six nights in a row every week doing shows and, and you know people take your voice for granted like but you see nba players don't just like run out the court and start playing a full game i mean they stretch and warm up for hours right so 
musicians, why don't, why don't we do that? Why weren't we told to do that? But anyhow, I had a vocal surgery in 2008 and it was, it, it really was a huge setback. Like I literally, my career had finally gotten to the point where I was headlining Red Rocks uh, with the opening act that at the time was John Butler trio. Oh, wow. And um, the, the month before that huge tour, which is the culmination at that point of like 20 years on the road and our amazing fan base, I had a vocal injury from like a little benefit at the rocking chair in Avalon, New Jersey, where I sang <laughs> to like, I had no voice left. That's not far and from then, us. And then the next night, uh, the next day I couldn't produce sound and I went to the vocal doctor and they were like, yeah, hey, you've ruptured your, basically my vocal cords, vocal cords were like full of blood. Right. Oh geez. It wasn't pain. It's not painful, but if you, if you look at, if you look at your vocal cords, like their size, of your thumbnail and they look like, you know, a woman's private parts kind of like, <laughs> I mean, they do. My wife goes, Oh my gosh. But they do if you ever look at it. And, and yeah. when they your vocal co vocal cords make a sound, right? They go like this. They flap together like this. And that's what yeah. produces the sound, right? So if you think about that, they're smacking against each other like you're singing. Right now they're that that causes it to get swollen, right? So mm -hmm. so if you wake up and you have laryngitis, whatever, as we you blew your voice out at the game or whatever. Yeah. You know, you, people say, Oh yeah, drink honey or tea. Like the, the thing you can, the thing you can do like honey and you know, that's just, that's not going to do anything that that goes in your throat, not your vocal cords, like where your, your windpipe. Right. Right. Like, so your throat lozenger is not like putting like, you know, yeah, it's not gooey like it's yumminess on your vocal cords. Right. Right. So the, the only way you could do it is, is to go on vocal rest. Right. Which is to be silent and not cough, not whistle, not hum. Like you put your vocals in a cast. Right. So yeah. like, so in that summer tour, the only time I would talk would be when I was on stage to do like, you know, my hour set and I limped through the tour and had to cancel a lot of shows and, you know, so basically I almost kind of lost everything back to ground zero. So anyhow, long story short, after that, I got a vocal coach and, uh, and I've been doing, doing those warmups. Citizen Cope hit me to it. He's like, I do a warm up every day. I was like, what, really? Cause I got warm up, but he works with a coach every day. Yeah. Well, long story short, my vocal coach, Donna Newman, rest her soul. She passed away. She's an older woman and she passed away literally the month before COVID because she was this awesome, crazy old New Yorker lady that's probably lived in the same, you know, rent control department in the Upper East Side for like 50 years. Right. But she passed. So since then, I have not been doing that, but I still do the warm up. So, yeah. Yeah. It lives on. Oh, yeah. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta like, it, this is all part of it. You know, it's like, Music's such a physical thing. That's why when you look at like the Rolling Stones and Recipes, Charlie Watts, but to think that Mick Jagger and these guys are like 80 years old and he's running all over the stages, yes. it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, even, and just, just talking, I mean, I'm not even singing, but I remember I, you know, I wasn't doing stand up for almost a year with, with COVID. And then I came back in June and I remember I thought I was getting sick for a while. And then I realized it's like, oh, I just got on stage and talked for an hour for the first time. Right. And, and you forget what kind of a physical toll that takes. 
Yeah. And, and if you don't have good monitors or whatever, like if you can't hear yourself or you're pushing your voice or you're nervous, I'm sure you get on stage. Sometimes you're nervous. Like if you're loose, right. Everything's mm-hmm. going easy, but I'm sure you have those nights as a standup got really a little tight and like, you're like, nothing's working. You know what I'm saying? This is no one's <laughs> catch. No one's on my vibe. And then you just kind of can go down this wormhole. And then that takes its physical toll too. Cause you start tightening up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Now, how, how was how was so you were in Lancaster last night? Uh, how, how was how was the show? Oh, it was great. Um, it was great. We uh, it was the Lancaster Roots and Blues Fest. How do you say it, Lancaster or Lancaster? I say Lancaster. I don't know if that's well, that's correct. That's correct. Having his yeah. dealer's choice, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, 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 man. If if you go to Lanc if you go to Lancaster and say Lancaster, hey Lancaster, they'll be like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to piss the Amish all off. The, all, all the Amish will yeah. be coming yeah. in. They'll very slowly <laughs> chase you on horse out of town. <laughs> <laughs> no, the um, the Amish mafia wasn't at that show, a reality show. Yeah, yeah, it's a real deal. Uh, yeah, but no, it was a great show. Um, so that was G Love and the Juice. So the Juice is a new project I started also during the pandemic, which was basically De La, who's a saxophone player from Slightly Stupid. He hit me up the summer, the spring of the pandemic. Said I want to play a show. You know, everyone's laid off. So he got us a drive-in show, and he put together this awesome band. Well, then we just started doing pop-up shows in New England, and. Um, all these unbelievable musicians. So it kind of became like a collective. We had a couple, bunch of people that would do it. So anyhow, last night we had a lineup was Jimmy Jazz from Special Sauce, Takira Jackson, a woman from the band Southern Avenue out of Memphis came in. Chuck Treese from Philadelphia, legendary musician and pro skater. Um, and then this guy Van Gordon Martin on guitar. So it, it was cool, man. We kind of we headlined uh, our night, and um, yeah, we had a nice crowd, and it's been a lot of fun to play with different musicians right now and different lineups because it really keeps it fresh. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I was I was sur- I was surprised to find out and just doing some research that so special sauce is a trio, and yeah. it's been the same trio for thirty years, right? Like there's there really haven't been major lineup changes. There's been a couple periods over the years where we took a break. Um, like Jim wasn't in the trio for a couple years, a couple different times, but we always have uh, kind of gone back to the original lineup, which is Jim Prescott, Jimmy Jazz on bass, Jeffrey Clemens on the drums and myself. And that's always kind of been like a really special chemistry. Like as people, we're, we're all so different and, um, you know, it, it's just, you know, just to talk, just to reference like the Rolling Stones again, it's like you have like a chemistry with guys and there's something that clicks. And if you can find that, you know, it's this really special thing. And especially if you can find it like early on in your career, um, and create this vibe together. And then it becomes a really special thing. And then it has its drawbacks, you know what I mean? But, right. and it sometimes can get stagnant. Sure. Like any relationship, 
but you have that magic. And I think for the fans, the people that care about what we do, it's, you know, it's pretty special for those people to get to come out and see the show, hear the songs that they love played by the people that wrote and recorded these songs. It, not everybody has that, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, I feel like over the years, you've definitely collaborated with a bunch of people, you know, you have, you know, these songs featuring different artists, different blues artists and all that has to push you in different directions. I'm assuming you walk away from those collaborations, maybe something new each time. Yeah, for sure. Um, the, the thing about having uh, collaborators in the studio for one thing is that it brings like, you know, it's like when you have guests over, right? Like you clean up your house, you fucking yeah, yeah. buy a nice bottle of wine or you buy like the kind beer, you fucking get the nice cheese, you know, like it's not like an everyday at your house where you're like, oh, there's my shoes. They're sitting on the floor. And right, right. Let's have the leftover cheese and let's get the cheap bottle of wine. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, um everyone's on their best behavior and stepping up into their a game even more than usual, because, you know, you don't want to be the, you want to, that's what, pe- uh, yeah, that's what happens. Right. So, um, so yeah, that happens. And, and then, you know, you get inspiration and then, you know, music's really cool. And the, the thing about music is, um, when you're working with anybody, I mean, the way I've always looked at it is like, look, if you and I are going to look at, um, this tree over here, we're going to each see different things about that tree or, um, you know, if we're going to draw it, we're going to draw it differently. You know what I'm saying? So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I write a song, like I write my part, but I don't tell other people what to play. Like, you know, I give them a song and then, you know, uh, most of the time it's completely blown away and just like, wow, you know, I never would have thought about that, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. So, I think it's really great to let people have a free reign. And then of course, when you have awesome people like the artists and other musicians coming in the studio that you respect, like, wow, just get ready to get your, get blown away. Cause they're also going to come in with their a game, right? Because they're also stepping into a different situation. Everybody wants to impress each other a little bit. That's right. Yeah. It, well, it, it is. I mean, it's, that's exactly right. Yeah. I'm curious how you hooked up with um, with Dr. John. So I, I covered last week. I, I We did a Dr. John episode and uh, nice. I watched on YouTube. They had an hour long compilation of every appearance he did on David Letterman. Oh, and, shit. and then midway through that hour and it's just songs. There was no interviews or anything. But midway through that right. hour, um, I saw he came out with you. Yeah. And then I was wondering, so it's funny because we have a mutual friend, uh, Lori Baker, who who arranged this for us. And um, she was telling me to ask you about John Hammond because she said that you have a relationship with him. And then I thought, like, those are one of those names I always read about in Rolling Stone growing up. I always heard his name, but I, I never really listened to his music or thought to go seek it out. 
So this morning I like went down a wormhole and I was listening to it. Oh, then, cool. then I discovered an album that he did with Dr. John and Mike Bloomfield. Triumvirate. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I listened. Oh, I listened to it twice. I listened to it front to back twice this morning because Ooh, I loved it so much. <laughs> and then I was and then I was wondering, like, did did John Hammond have something to do with introducing you to Dr. John or how did that come about? Cool. Well, all right. First of all, like, so I, John Hammond's story is like, is my whole career because basically like when I was 16 or 17, I've been playing a harmonica on Iraq um, and started writing songs. And then I started going to some open mic nights while I was the only kid in my high school that was playing folk music with the harmonica rack. And I figured I was the only person in the world that heard of Bob Dylan, you know? <laughs> right. Of course, of course, but that's what it felt like to me. But then, of course, like, and my love for Bob Dylan was was such that I thought that no one could be a greater fan of Bob Dylan than me. And um, anyways, I went to the open mic night and I realized that this was not the case. Everybody was influenced by Bob Dylan. And I don't know, something inside of me was always wanted to be different than other people. Uh, especially with the music. So I went to third street jazz and rock in Philly on third and market street. Mm -hmm. And I, I just asked, they had all this vinyl in the basement. Said, hey, can you recommend someone that plays, you know, solo acoustic guitar with the harmonica rack other than Bob Dylan or Neil Young. So he gave me the, he said, yeah. And this is cool that like you, were, I was able to ask that question to a guy working at a record store it said something about the people that used to work in these places called record stores, if you can remember what they were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I worked in one for a you while. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> What's a record so, store? So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry? What's like, a record store? Record, What's a record? Yeah. Uh, it's a thing. It's like a cassette. <laughs> it's like a big round yeah. cassette. It's like an eight. It's like an eight track. It's a giant CD. <laughs> it's like a. It's like a. It's like an MP. It's like a something that's. It's like music, like that's on Spotify, but actually you can hold it in your hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Pla it's plastic Spotify. You can your girlfriend can throw it at you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but anyway, so they gave me this John Hammond record called John Hammond Country Blues, and man, I never forget. I took it home, I put it on my little Panasonic, you know, uh, record player that had a cassette tape on it, so you could record your albums. And that version of his version of Statesboro Blues came up and that was it, man. Like that was the first time I heard the Delta Blues. And that was that was all uh, for me to realize that that was the sound that I've been searching for. And so I. And then also the cool thing about records back in the day that. Was it on the back of them, there'd be these liner notes. Yes. And so they would talk about the artists. Yeah. And I would I must have read that record liner notes and let's look at the two photos of him on it. And just like, I mean, I, it was a really heavy, like idolization. I had a John and, mm -hmm. um, and then I, so he recorded his first record. That was his third record, but he recorded his first record when he was 20. So basically I, I got that John Hammer record. I took it home. Statesboro blues came on and his version of Statesboro blues, like, was what I think of as the first musical epiphany of my life. And it was like a life changing 
occurrence and changed the whole trajectory of my life. And, uh, and I used to stare at the photos of John and yeah, I wanted to dress like him. I wanted to do my hair like him. I want to sound like him. And I read the liner notes. And so John Hammer recorded his first record uh, when he was 20 years old. And so did Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bob Dylan and John Hammond were best friends at the time when they were both you know, young men in New York City. John's father, John Henry Hammond, was one of the greatest A&R guys of all mm-hmm. time who signed Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, C.B. Ray Vaughan, Betsy Smith, a huge, uh, a huge list of musical icons. Um, so anyways... Right. The bar was set when I was 17. I was like, well, I got to get this good. And I need to record my first record by the time I am 20. Yeah. <laughs> that, became, yeah. that, that became my goal at, when I was 17. And, and actually, I, I fulfilled it. So. Which is which is amazing. Now, and where were you? You you were, I know you're street performing a lot, especially in Boston. Were you were you doing were you performing on the streets in Philly as well, too? Or is that once yeah. you got up there? Yeah. Where were, you, where were you playing? Would you play South Street or where were you going? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up, I grew up on Second and Pine. So South Street. Sure. You know, three blocks. Three away. blocks over. And, yeah. Uh, I, I was, uh, I, yeah. I lived for a while uh, at 10th and Pine. I was at 10th and Pine right by oh, Seeger cool. Park. And, yeah. uh, oh, okay. yeah. And we're at, uh, uh, we're at 10th and Christian right now, right across from Isgro's Bakery. Oh. If you know Isgro's. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Of course. Yeah. God, uh, so, man, you man, damn, that, that's making me jealous. I want a cannoli, baby. I know, right? <laughs> I know. We, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's dangerous living right across the street from there. But uh, I bet. So, um, wh- where else were you playing in Philly? Were you playing uh, clubs in Philly at all, like coffee houses, or what were you doing before you left Philly? Yeah, the first time I played on the street was in Head House Square. Sure. And then I used to play at Second and Lombard or in front of the old workbench on South Street across from the TLA. Yep. South Street was tricky because it was a lot of times the cops would kick you off of South Street and the South Street was just so crazy sometimes that it just was just not conducive. But it was cool playing out in the street and getting to know like when you're a street musician, you, you get to know like everybody that's like out working the street from the shop owners to the homeless people that are working the street. And, you know, you actually know, just, speaking of that, I got to ask you this because there's this it's kind of legendary. Do you remember the recorder lady? The lady? Yeah. Who oh, the blind the- lady. Yeah. The blind <laughs> yeah. lady up there recorder. Yeah. 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 I mean, she was, I remember seeing her there when ah. I was like a little kid coming into the yeah. city. And totally. then I was in my twenties, like starting comedy and I would, wow. and she was still there doing that. I, I, wow. I don't know if she's still around anymore. I, I don't know what the, but she was wow. like a blind lady who played, who should play the recorder uh, on, on the street all the time. And, and she must, Man, I, I can just visualize her so vividly. And, right. And here, here's a couple other characters. Do you remember big Al? He was this old white guy with no teeth that would sit on a milk crate and play the spoons and the harmonica. I think I remember I mean, him. Yeah. It's like yeah. a bygone era. And, and then there was called the give and take jugglers. These guys would go down by uh head house, what new market there across from her house where and do this juggling thing. There was a guy yeah. that played the glasses, played Mozart on the glasses. There was a guy that did puppeteering. He had like a Janis Joplin, a Jimi Hendrix, and an Elton John marionettes that he made. That's why he would dance him around. That's <laughs> I mean, hilarious. It was so vibrant, man. And then yeah. there was this guy, wake there was a guy, Waco Smith, who was this, he was like five three, you know, 250 pounds. 
every day of the year, he would be wearing the same thing, like cut off jeans, like just cut off at the boots because he couldn't get a pair of pants that were short enough for his little legs. <laughs> and uh, cowboy boots and a red or blue flannel shirt and the, the brown work gloves, you know, with the red felt inside. Yeah. And uh, he would use the payphone at 3rd and South Street as his office. And I know all this because I, and he'd take his hand, take, he ended up, I ended up studying with him for like a couple of years when I was like 13. He wasn't homeless, man. He was a guitar player. He was Juliet, Juilliard trained. And he's, he wore gloves to protect his fingers because they were all the, the classical music. His nails were all manicured and shit. Wow. He used to go up in his one bedroom apartment that he shared a bathroom down the hall. And the landlord was this old black guy that had to bang in his throat and don't like that. You know, I yeah. around. And um, we'll go up. And he had one lamp, a bed, two chairs, a bureau that always had like a half empty bottle of Jack Daniels. <laughs> and then he started, all right, play the scale or whatever. He started falling asleep while I played. So I finished playing the scale. And I just wait for him to wake up. <laughs> I was like 13 I was like what do I do this guy's sleeping I was yeah. 13 you finally wake up and be like okay that was great okay, let's, let's go <laughs> oh that's worrying but yeah like talk about like a bygone era man South Street was just it's crazy yeah not a, yeah. not a lot of dudes playing the spoons on South Street anymore no <laughs> right yeah yeah not at all were uh, were, were, your, yeah, were your parents supportive of uh hanging out on the street playing music or yeah man they were cool i mean they they pretty much let us like free range i mean you know it was different than when we were kids you know because yeah. you know i think about that shit like i i went to mccall school which is on sixth and pine and like i said i grew up on second pine so we would be walking to school by ourselves, and i had like a key on a to the house on a rope around my neck and Think about that. We're like, you know, seven or eight years old, like walking ourselves to school in Center City, Philadelphia. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Just you don't. If you saw like a seven-year-old, a six-year-old kid walking down the street, like, call the cops. Oh, like, I, no absolutely. Yeah, like, it's, it's yeah. jarring if you see it. Now, wh where else were you? Were you playing uh, at any any clubs in Philly? Where where were you playing? At coffee houses, even open mics. I played at Sam Adams Brew Pub up on 15th and Santum. They had an open mic. And then there was a little coffee shop on like 22nd Street called McCam's Kitchen, which is not there. Um, yeah. not th That's about it. And then we would play like talent shows at different high schools. And... Um, yeah, no, not 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 a ton of that. Yeah, um, and then what made yeah. you decide to go to what what drew you to Boston? Yeah, so I I went to college for a year to Skidmore College, mm -hmm. and um, they had a wonderful music program up there. Uh, but what I was doing was kind of like too primitive, and everybody like fish was hitting really hard then. Yeah, so everybody was really like. Uh, you know, super badass guitar players and playing this kind of kind of Stevie Wonder groove oriented shit that was like 
pretty technical, it seemed like to me. And I, I just couldn't attract like the right kind of musicians. I wanted to have a band and yeah. um, no one was really like, like the good musicians were kind of like, okay, that's cool. And like the, and the other people that were going to the open mic nights were, was just doing like the singer songwriter shit. And I mm -hmm. got these open mic nights with all these singer songwriters, like kind of, you know, no offense to singer songwriters, but not everybody's super original. And I yeah. go like do my shit. And it was just like, what the fuck was that? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> but I, I would get, I get, I get a lot of, I think I got a lot of respect from the singer songwriters, but it was so different from what everybody else was doing. So anyway, I bounced and went, and I, a friend of a friend had a room in Boston and you could, and here's the real reason you could, for $25, you could buy a street performer's license and then that uh -huh. would legally enable you to play on the street. So it was really interesting looking back that Boston supported the arts like that. And that drew me to Boston. Um, and it's city like Philadelphia still probably doesn't have something like that. So right. You, you think about like, you think about programs like that and how you can attract talent. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about how can you attract talent to your city or your country? It's a really valid conversation to have right now. Like what programs can you have to encourage talented people to come to your country from overseas? Sure. I think or to come to your city from a small town or another city. Like Philly is a great city, but Hey, I left Philly because this town offered me an opportunity. Sure. It wasn't in Philadelphia. Right? I think New York's yeah. doing something similar in the subway systems because I've, I, I went, uh, last time I went to New York, I actually saw like official printout signs of the, that the street performers were given out. So I think what's happening is that you go through the transit authority and they give you a pass to hang out and they give you right. like a sign mm -hmm. with like links and a QR code. So I, I think you're right in terms of supporting artists like that i think cities should do that more cultivate the talent and have at least known that they're there and i think it was austin a while ago yeah. was like giving musicians like health care like like there was really? like an insurance kind of situation i, I don't uh, know cool. but, but i think there was something like that like if you were a working musician you could get on some sort of you know health insurance type situation so it's like it's just supporting uh -huh. those those artists that are like bringing money into clubs bringing money into bars bringing money yeah you wow. know people buying drinks and all. And by the way, Kahuna is our, uh, is our producer here. And he's, he comes from a musical background. You, did you, you wanted to talk to him about that, right? Kahuna? Yeah. Well, uh, my, I grew up in a, like a hip hop household too. So like, I, I recall your music being played too. So, cause my, my dad was in a group called PM Dawn back in the day. If you have, Oh heard shit. Yeah. Oh my God. That's crazy. Yeah. So I, I was texting my mom. I was like, you're not going to believe this. I'm doing a podcast with G love today. And she was like, no way. No. Uh, <laughs> so much love to, from my family. This is a, uh, this is th awesome. That's so cool. It's so crazy that because like we were just in Philly yesterday. Right. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen Paul PM for years. He's a ripping guitar player, and um, he's, he was always such a nice guy, like super supportive of of, of what I was doing, like you know, because he's kind of big bro kind of vibes. Um, but it's funny because I saw there was like a like my wife and I were walking, and I heard this. Where's that electric guitar coming from on Second and Market? And um, there was this guy like playing electric guitar, and uh, it was so good I had to cross the street. 
and go check, out, <laughs> check this guy out. And, um, you know, I put it and I, I, and I, from a distance, I was like, is that, is that Paul? Like just out jamming, you know, like, but it wasn't, but it's so funny. Cause I hadn't thought about PM for a hot minute. And, uh, I literally just thought about him yesterday and then you, and then he comes up again. Isn't that funny? That's it's weird. It's a it. small <laughs> world, man. It's a truly small world. Friggin. So what, so in terms of like performing and stuff during, well, pop-up shows during like COVID and stuff like that, what was like the period of adjustment? When did it go from like, this is going to be a pain in the ass to like, oh, this is a breeze. Cause I know a lot of acts kind of struggled with the transition back into a sense of normalcy. So like, what was that like for you? Yeah, it was like, well, when the pandemic first hit, it was like panic. Like my wife and I were like, it was like panic mode. It was like, you know, I remember our last show and everybody's who played in a band last show was on March 12th. We were in Santa Barbara. It was like that morning we were told everyone's flying home tomorrow. And that was like every band in every country, right? It's like game over. And it was like, it was like, you felt like it was like, chicken little the sky is is falling like literally like felt like that kind of yep yeah it was crazy so then we went home like panicked for the weekend and then we just dove right into it like started doing guitar lessons and and then live streaming shit and actually kind of were really just amazed at the support from the fan base and people just throwing money and then i was raising money for venues like we basically do couple of shows we had the home show pop off on saturday on saturdays and then i do cracking beers on thursday so the home show was like a kind of more pg thing and then thursday night was like me getting completely fucked up <laughs> <laughs> like, with everybody else like and just jamming for like hours and smoking joints and doing shots and like having guests on and just getting wasted and um my mom was like and my wife was like, what the fuck are you doing? What is wrong with you? That's not a good look. And I was like, man, people are like, people are in, like, there's a group of people that, but anyhow, so by the time we started doing some, like, pop-up stuff, um, man, we were so happy to, like, be out, be able to be in front of even a small group yeah. of people. So, yeah. and, and also, I said, right, the, the Zooms, the, 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 live streams and the zooms got you accustomed to doing a set, giving a performance with nobody there, but still being in a performance space that you're going to perform on a certain level because there could be hundreds or thousands or even hundreds of thousands of people watching you. And you had to get into that zone of connection and bridging the gap, right? Between you know, the digital thing and realizing that there's real people with real emotions and really want to connect yeah. online. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's like a whole process. And then, so then I already had that figured out. So then to go back, show up at someone's backyard and set the PA up and, you know, play a show for literally, we did a show one night for two people in their backyard. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like you can, you can invite, up to 20 people. No, we don't want to, well, we got, well, when we got there, we realized the reason that they didn't want to invite anybody is because they, they were shrooming and they wanted to just trip out 
and have us play for them, which we did. I was amazing. Uh, I was going to say, me and Chip were doing shows to two people in backyards before the pandemics. Yeah, before yeah. Was, I've been playing to two people for years. Before yeah. it was cool. But hey, man, so, so did I, bro. I mean, yeah, we, right. We all did. And, yeah. and if you can do that, then then you can do anything. And yeah. so it was just a thing, like same thing, like yo. If, if look, if I came to Electric Factory and there was ten people out in the audience, that would be a really tough night for me to get it to like, right? To think about like, wow, what's yeah. happened? You it, know I mean, but to show up in someone's backyard, realize, yeah, these people paid a good amount of money, and they're really big fans. They really love music, and I'm gonna give them a fucking serious show like i'm playing a fucking woodstock 99 like that's how yeah. i approach it every night <laughs> right one expensive trip it does it does seem so chip, <laughs> chip and I, I we we we've seen you live a bunch of times and it does always seem like you're having the most fun of anybody um but is that like, does it ever not feel like that? Where, like, it just, like, the, I, I, like for me, like, I know the nice thing about comedy is if you're not feeling the show or you're not feeling the crowd, you can just kind of tell them that. You can be like, hey, I fucking hate you guys, but you just make, you make <laughs> really? it. Do you say that? Yeah, I've, I've said it, but you make it funny. You you can antagonize right. them a little bit. And, if, and sometimes right. crowds, they kind of want to be attacked a little bit. Right. But right, right. Um, you can't really do that. You can't really do that. I mean, I mean, I get you can, but uh, you know, I, I I feel like it doesn't have the same effect because you're not going for laughs. Right. Yeah. People, artists that end up like yelling at the crowd, that generally ends up because <laughs> there are guys that like will will like get really upset if the crowd's not, um, you know, being focused on the show or if they're talking too much and they'll say stuff. I've always had the thing like like for better or for worse. You know, like, look, these people pay money. They're here. Who am I to tell them, like, yo, shut the fuck up? You know, a couple, yeah. couple nights here and there, I might say, guys, you know, please shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Are they? Because you know, there are, because I, as, as for me, I never, like, I remember seeing John Hammond at the North Star Bar, and I couldn't fucking believe that people were talking while yeah. he was playing. Oh, I was like yeah. 17. And I was like, wow, I can't believe people are actually fucking talking. Like, but it was a bar. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. You know so, so, sometimes so it's that people, environment. That's when people talk and drink. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a thing. Like, if you're going to go to a show and pay all this money, don't you want to fucking listen? Like, aren't you there to, like, make some kind of connection and shit? Like, but our crowd's always been kind of like a bar, like a, like a partying crowd. Mm -hmm. And I think kind of letting them do their thing kind of added, you know, kind of, I don't know. It's I yeah. At the beginning, you were talking about with your schedule, like you know, you you do your handwritten set list. Yeah, as comedians, like Ken and I, like I know I like I'll pour over my set list, be like I want to do this joke and this joke, and like I'll I'll spend time really tweaking and getting ready. What's ha, have you? What's your secret to a good to a good set list? Like, do you do you just have that flow that vibe, sort of that roller coaster ride, or what are you what are you looking for when you do when you make that set list each night? Yeah, generally I want to have like the first three songs um, that I know is going to take the audience to a place and take me to a place and take the band to a place, mm -hmm. right? And then after that, we should be off to the races. And then at that point, even though I've written down, you know, 20 or 30 songs in a row in an order, at that point, I completely 
am happy to go off of the set list and go off the cuff because that's what I want. I, I, mm-hmm. And I say this to myself before the show, like I let my set flow in a, in a grassroots fashion. Cause I don't want it to be contrived. I want it to be like a unique experience for the crowd. So the process of a set list is for me is like having a map that I can fall back on mm-hmm. if I get into a panic mode where I'm like, Oh my God, that song didn't work. You know, like the same thing. You tell a joke and it like flops and then you're like, you could panic probably for a minute and be like, fuck, that was supposed to get this kind of reaction. Yeah. No one laughed. You know, right. like, fuck, now what do I, if you panic right then, it could go downhill, right? And people, people don't that's know. That's what how- I have like this. Oh, go ahead. Wait, can, I, can I ask you a question though? Like, because I've always been interested about that with the c- comedians. Like, so you actually do have a set list. Like, so Dave Chappelle, is like has a set list. It's, well, it's, those are all jokes that are planned and shit, or is it off the cuff. Like, it's yeah, it's it's like it's like musicians. It's different for everybody. Like I I take the same approach you do. I know, I'm I know my first seven to ten minutes is is gonna be is going to be in stone. Like then that that's how long it takes me to to get a feel for how the crowd is. After those first 3 bits or those first 3 yeah. jokes, then I'm just feeling the crowd out and they might like this or maybe I don't like the crowd and I want to make them a little bit uncomfortable. Right. Um so I yeah. go I go I I want to I'm going to open with these 3. I know these these two others I want to get in there somewhere and I'll figure the rest out in my head. You know, and, and it's funny, I used to be because I, I was so nervous about it and I'd, I'd want it to be perfect. So I would spend all this time and I would have my jokes completely in order. And then especially the last couple of years, especially after the pandemic, I really was like, I just want to have fun and I don't want to worry about this. So I do the same thing. Right. And I feel like I've felt better. And I feel like I'm having better sets with, like you said, that roadmap. But then being just going off the roadmap right. because it, it is it is about that vibe and feeling the audience. It's like, OK, they're going for this. Let me try these jokes that I have about this topic and just going in that direction rather than sticking with my prescribed like bullet list. It's so funny to say the thing about like wanting to antagonize the crowd, um, because like I and I'm this I'm like a really non-confrontational kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um it's like when I'm surfing, if I'm surfing and someone drops in on me, that's going to piss me off. But if I drop in on someone, um, I get so, it fucks my whole session. Up Cause I'm like, Oh my God, they must think I'm like, they're going to be so pissed. Or, oh, I didn't mean to do that. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, it, and with the shows, like I, I just want everybody. I just have this urge, like want everybody to like me. I think like just in general. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and so like to think about antagonizing the crowd or like upsetting anybody, it just would totally fuck my vibe up. Or, or even if like someone starts yelling and shit from the stage, I, it can really like, wow, I'm really sensitive to that stuff. So that's, and actually like, I swear to God, like I, if I go to a, a standup show, Bro, I would be so far in the back because yeah. <laughs> one time yeah. I went to this comedy club in LA or something and this guy fucking honed in on me. And oh, he was yeah. a terrible comedian. He was bombing. Yeah. But like he just started, he just saw me and just started fucking with me. And like I was like devastated. <laughs> I was like, wow, I'm never ever going like 
I was like really shook up. Um, well, and I think it's a performer's so yeah, thing too. It's, it's like, we have our, we have our moments, like you on stage, us on stage. Like we have our moments to shine. And like, when it's, when we're off the clock, I want to be like, if I'm at a comedy club, I want to be all the way in the back. Yes. And like, even when I started okay. going to shows, when I was in my teens and twenties, like I wanted to be right up front. And right. nowadays, like even at a rock show, like I want to be in the back of the room watching everybody watch the show, you know, like I, right. I feel like I want to just kind of blend in. Yeah. Same thing, even at a show, like, dude, like to think about the people that like have the kind of courage to like go right up to the front of the stage and like, really like, you know, because I'm making eye contact with them or physical contact with them. Um, you know, like their vibe, and a lot of times, I, this, let me know if this happens to you. Like a lot of times you'll, you'll do a show and there'll be someone in, in the front of the crowd or whatever that you can see. And you're like, what the fuck is up with this person? Yes. Like, they're just killing my vibe. Yes. Yeah. Like, they're not dancing or they're not like, you're just sitting there. And then it's a lot of times that that person is the person that comes up after the show. And it's like, that was the most amazing show. Yes. Yes. And and you're like, like, you're it just, always happens. <laughs> yes. People, yeah. yeah and, and people don't realize that's all you can see. So if, if I'm in a club and 200 people are cracking, I mean, it's never happened, but if it were to happen <laughs> and I'm watching, I'm watching one lady with her arms folded with the something right. smells bad face. That's all yeah. I can see. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And then, but, and but then, you're right. That's the one she'll come up and be like, that was my, the, my best night of the last year. Yeah. I had so much fun. And you're like, <laughs> right. Well, you didn't show it, but like, yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. Every, yeah. And yeah. then you're like, well, thanks for fucking up my whole show. But thank <laughs> yeah. you. Like, uh, so now I keep that shit in mind. I'm like, if someone's like totally vibing me out, I'm like, look, yeah, this person's going to like, well, it's not even funny to joke about, but like, you know, the other thing that crosses your mind nowadays, it shows like, is someone going to fucking pull out a gun and like, start oh, yeah. Shooting? Yeah. Like, or, or is it like, somebody with, is this like, I'm looking at this. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? Or it could be somebody, you know, like then I try to think of too, is it somebody with special needs or that is disabled oh. or something like that? That You know what I mean? Okay. Like where it's like, you yeah. don't know that story, but yeah, like you said too, it's like, you don't want to antagonize somebody. Yeah. Uh, right. I mean, you know, you never know what's going to happen. So, they, you know, they have a medical condition where they can't smile. <laughs> right. Yeah. My, yeah. My, my drummer, my drummer though, Jeff, who, who actually is an aspiring stand-up comedian whose biggest influences are like, you know, Tony Clifton, Larry David, and Woody Allen. Oh yeah, perfect. Um, she's like, uh, he's the kind of guy that he he does shit that horrifies Jim and I. Like he'll say in the mic, "What the fuck are all you fucking dudes sitting? Do, make some room for the fucking girls, you fucking nerds! Get away from the stage!" And Jim and I are like, "Oh my god, stop here!" <laughs> like, or he'll be like, you know. If someone's like, if you're like the opening act and someone's like, you know, in the front and they get their home, you know, looking at their watch while you're playing, he'll be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, like, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But aren't no. you, aren't you secretly happy that he's yelling those things? I like, you can never do it. No, yeah. You no, get to be the good guy. No. I'm, yeah. No, I'm not, dude. Oh. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, after the show, I'm like, dude, if you ever fucking do that shit again, I'll personally like, punch you in the fucking face like really good because we're like dude we work hard to make a bot yeah and you can just like kill a bot yeah well that's like yeah um that's the thing yeah. too. Like when you're dealing with hecklers, it's, it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a tightrope act because 
you can lose the entire crowd going after a heckler, even though they should be, you know, that they, yeah. they should be gone after. And and I'll say the thing about hecklers, too, is I used to hate hecklers and I don't mind them nearly as much as somebody in the crowd who's talking. Like if it's like a couple okay. in the crowd who's talking, because at least with a heckler, at least they're engaged in what's going on. Like they're listening and they're saying right. something back. And not that I love it, but it's like at least they're listening where it's somebody in the crowd. Because I think at a music show, as much That's as right. I hate people talking at a music show, at a comedy show, it's like so much more distracting. Yeah. So at least with a heckler, they're they're at least engaged in what's going on. Which, which yeah, I, they're at right, least paying right. attention. Yeah. Like, uh, you ever like, I'm, do guys plant hecklers? There's, there are some people, there are some comics who have been accused of that, but I've, I've never known anybody that does. Yeah. Yeah. Either way. I've heard of it. Talk about, what about, I mean, Tony, cause Jeff got us all hooked on Tony Clifton and actually one, one Halloween in, Ch- in Chicago, we all dressed like Tony Clifton and Jeff oh, that- came out that is like Tony Clifton bit. Oh, that's great. And he talks about it. It's like his proudest moment ever. And uh, <laughs> but hey, pop, hey, pop, 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 pop. Oh, that's great. Um, uh, now, the, the one thing just with the way music's changed over the last, you know, 25 years or so with the albums into streaming and all, do you? do you approach it differently anymore? Like I know some people, you know, obviously it used to be like the album was the big thing. It's like the next album. Do you treat it like that? Or are you treating it like one song at a time? And like, how do you, how have you shifted your, your gears since the, the music industry's changed? Yeah. Um, I still, am in the thing that I want to make a record, you know? Yeah. And, and, and of course, like when I make a record, you know, like there's, you want to deliver 10 or 13 great tracks. It's not like you're focused on like a single and a bunch of like shit. So like you're really spending a lot of time. So basically long story short is that, you know, we never sold a lot of records so we made our money off the road, but we, mm-hmm. but not a lot of records in the nineties was, you know, hundreds of thousands. Right. Yeah. Right. Whereas if you sold, a hundred thousand records right now. I mean, you, if you sold 10,000 records in a week, you're going to be number one on the charts. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. No one buys records. So, and it just goes less and less every year. So, you know, it, it's a tough thing because records cost money to make. Um, so like, for instance, last, my last, release was the juice it was grammy nominated my first grammy nomination yeah congrats yeah. by the way that's great thank you and produced by kevmo and we worked on this record off and on for two or three years and you know the and then <laughs> yay grammy nomination and then you, then you get the uh then our dist- distributors 30 tigers and you know we get the call like well you know you're still we, we, the record's on the groups yeah record sold not that many copies right you know what i'm saying so um and my wife's going tmi tmi but it, it, <laughs> no it's it's not like i'm embarrassed it has no effect on my career Starry targets picking up my next record right um which is in the can right now and they're supportive 
and they're um but long story short this is not this is not specific to me like yeah, yeah. oh sure right, like right. I it's, said, it's an know, industry you know, wide right jack johnson my buddy used to sell millions of records on every record and he'll be lucky brought it sell like you know 50 or 100,000 records like yeah you know same thing my the guy who actually the next record that's coming out is our christmas record and yeah. john evans the producer also plays in tori amos's band and tori they just put out a new record and the same thing like she's she's yes i know my wife's ready to argue now i know because i asked john because <laughs> her records are all platinum records except for you know the new record yeah this record will probably sell a hundred thousand copies yeah which is a huge record yeah, yeah that's but huge. it just gives you an idea right yeah. so so how does that change how you think about it well you have to just make it just like anything else. You have to work harder, make high quality shit and get paid less. And yeah. that's just what it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what, you know, you have, you, you had your album out, I think it was like 2017 was your Christmas album. And now, and you have another one coming out this year. Yeah. The first record was called coming home for Christmas and the next record drum roll coming back home for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Love it. When, when, when's it coming out? Uh, is it, it, is it coming out soon? Black Friday, man. What the fuck? Oh, per, oh come on. Per, <laughs> people, uh, here's, here's what I want. This is what you should do. Stay, ha, have a record store, have the physical record come out and just have like a hundred people beat each other up at 6 a.m. Yeah. trying to get into the yes. record. Well, hunger, I, well, hunger games it. I'll, be yeah, there. I'll do it. Yeah, fight over that. it. I love that. It's, uh, yeah, but it's great. The, it's, it, it's like, it's all home. So the, my Christmas records are all like, you know, 10 original homegrown home-baked Christmas carols Bye. So Bye. It, it, Christmas records uh, are just so fun to make for one thing you got to make them in the summer or you can't make them right you can't make them during Christmas sure. you're too late right yeah. you got to make them like either in the summer with this one coming back home for Christmas we recorded in February during the pandemic right and uh Actually, it was snowing out in Cape Cod. It was really beautiful, and there was there's all there was like a pack of coyotes ran through the fucking by the studio. It was pretty cool. Oh, that's great. But um, is is yeah, that man. It's it's fun to write for a Christmas Carol. Sorry, it's fun to write for a Christmas Carol because there's so much imagery right related to Christmas. So you 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 name it. You know what do you want to write about? The Santa Claus's buttons on his jacket, or the sleigh, or Rudolph's red nose, or the fucking cookies, or yeah, you know well, the kids, everything. That's well. What I was going to say was it. It must be so hard. I. I it's got to be tough to write original Christmas music. Everybody puts out like the rock Christmas album, like the rock versions of the songs that you already know. But writing, like I was listening to um, a Christmas joint. The other day, I, I was okay. <laughs> I was I was smoking a Columbus Day joint and listening yes. <laughs> <laughs> listening to a Christmas joint to uh, to get ready for the interview. And I was thinking, and then I I you know I skimmed through the album. I'm like, those are all original Christmas songs. That's got to be hard as hell, especially no, now. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's, it's now you're telling me the opposite. Like, there's so much it's, imagery. It's, it's like so... it's like all you have to do is just tap into that like 
holiday spirit, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I, I, I'll tell you. My, my wife was super excited. I think I was making breakfast this morning and I had on, uh, I had on coming home for Christmas, uh, which by the way, Cape Cod winter blues, another, uh, just like the imagery is great. It's, it's that's on my new rotation of that's in my Christmas rotation this year. Definitely. Uh, just of everything's closed and it's just, it is such great imagery, but, uh, my wife was super excited that I was listening to Christmas music on October 17th. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that Cape Cod winter blues. That's one of my favorites. Thank you for saying that. Um, it's also the only song on that coming home for Christmas that doesn't start with Christmas something. Like. Yeah. Right. So Cape Cod, whatever it is, it's the least Christmas. It has a great line and it. it goes, I saw you s- sitting there all, all alone. Uh, can I buy you a drink? Maybe three. Let's go on back home and trim my Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Now, can I, my only question for you in regards of make, writing and doing Christmas music, does it ever trip you up where you're like, man, I have too many songs that are like either have Christmas or Santa in the title? Because that was something right. I went through. Because I've, I've, I'm also making a Christmas album. So it's, okay. it's, it's, I've been putting together the, the track list and I'm just like, damn, I say Santa and Christmas so much right. in these song titles. How do I not right. get tripped up by it? <laughs> oh man. But are you planning on doing any, are you, like, what's up? Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I was tripping out on the same thing because of the first record. Yeah. Every song except one literally, something like Christmas baby, Christmas cookies, you know, <laughs> uh, whatever. It was all Christmas. And then this, this, the new record has less of that. Actually, there's some songs on the new coming back home for Christmas that are not holiday specific. Like they're more just like universal love songs, but there's like freeze McHugh, there's Christmas moon, there's Christmas, moon, there's Christmas wave. Um, but yeah, freeze with you. Uh, uh, so much love and love wins. So th- this record's still has a around the Christmas tree. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, yeah. And then I, then I started to think like, man, you know, I don't even have like one, like, you know, Hanukkah song, or like a Kwanzaa <laughs> right. song on my well, record, but we- I, you know, I, I don't, you don't Look, know. I'm not songs. a religious guy, but we've Christmas is like a yeah. You know, it's part of my culture, my family, and upbringing. So that's what I write about. You know? It's it's yeah. funny. There's like 10 million Christmas songs, and then uh, <laughs> okay. us, us Jews looked around and we were like, "Dreidel, uh, the Dreidel song is all we'll ever need." No, you got Adam Sandler. No. Yeah, oh, Adam yeah. Sandler. we got Adam two. We got yeah. two. He, he did well for you. Yeah. What are I, I'm just curious b- before we wrap this up and and thank you so much for um for great uh, to thank come you guys. up. Yeah. What what are some of your favorite um original Christmas rock songs? Because there are some great ones out there. Well, the one that just popped into my head is is well, it's, I guess it's Bruce Springsteen's cover of yeah. Santa's Coming. Yeah, that's great. that's yeah. just so iconic. And then uh. And then, um, uh, what's the, the, is it George Harrison's one or, or what's the, um, Oh, um, Merry Christmas. The war is over. That's the John Lennon. Over. John Lennon. Yes. 
yeah, that, that, that one. Um, and, uh, fuck. Um, but, but I, I don't know. Those would be my two, but, um, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, and of course, Christmas time in Halls, Queens. Yes, yes. that's great. Yeah. I always that's like so epic. Father, um, Father Christmas by the Kinks. The Kinks, perfect. And, oh, yeah. I don't I don't know that one. Oh, oh man, dude, that's about, a classic. About the poor oh, about the poor kids that rob Santa. Yeah. They oh, love they money, so they yeah, so they rob it. It's it's the best. <laughs> oh and um what's a yeah, that, that that would that would be if look, as a songwriter, right? If you could have a breakthrough Christmas carol, yeah, you know, you're talking about like some reoccurring oh, so, um, yeah. Yeah. royalties. Yeah, oh, of course. You know? <laughs> Get on like a gap commercial or something. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. you should us songwriters should start thinking smarter because like graduation happens every year, right? Yeah. Christmas happens every year. Yeah. Birthdays, wedding songs. Yeah. You know, like what the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah. You should be, you should, you should <laughs> write next year. G loves big labor day hit. I think that's what you, you just focus on something. Focus on something nobody else is doing. You a, know? a COVID yeah. season song. Cause yeah. I think we're going to have one of those every year now. One of yeah. the best that I have to recommend to all of you is called I'll be your Santa baby by Rufus Thomas has one okay. of the best song lyrics about in a, in a Christmas song I've ever heard. I'll slide down your chimney. I'll give you so much joy. What I've got for you, mama, it ain't just a toy. I'll be your Santa. <laughs> Sold. And it's, Chris, Sold. it's Christmas funk. It's great. Uh, I'm I like it. Song. Uh, well, I guess we, we should probably let you go. We should, we should wrap up. This has been uh, so much fun. We really appreciate you coming on uh, and talking. I, I'm excited about uh, coming back home for Christmas, coming out on uh, on Black Friday. Oh, can I can I promote one more? Yeah, thing? of course, um, sure. I don't know when when this is dropping, but um, so to to this Tuesday, October nineteenth, I'm dropping my first NFT. It's called Juice Gang, and if you tune into my socials at Philly G Love NFT dot com, or um, you know my Twitter at G Love or G Love and Special Sauce on Facebook you'll be able to buy one of 10,000 unique NFTs. I teamed up with this artist, Andre Solar, that did all the animated videos for my Juice record. And uh, so this is to kind of commemorate the year anniversary of the Grammy-nominated the Juice record. And the artwork is sick. So if anybody out there is in a crypto, uh, crypto metaverse or whatever, you know, please tune into that. And if you're not, Man, I'm trying to make you some money, baby. <laughs> that's uh, great. But yes, so that's happening. And so maybe by the time this drops, those, hope, well, hopefully there won't be any available, but you can get them on the secondary market, but there'll probably be some available. Who, who knows? Yeah, well, this this will this will be out. We'll we'll uh, we'll put this out tomorrow so people get a chance to hear it. Before. Oh, it is? Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, we'll yeah, yeah right this, this, this will be out in time. And the drop is, the drop is Tuesday, October 19th. At 2 p.m. ET, that's when it drops. So at nft.philadelphonic.com, you can link to that right from my uh, socials. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. All right. Uh, Garrett Sutton, thank you so much for coming on. Garrett Dutton. 
Dutton. Oh my God, Dutton. I'm so Come sorry. On. I had Ken. Oh, Come on. Fuck. Now he's angry at. Now he uh, hates us. I just you blew ruined. It. I See, just blew this the is, whole. To the, Garrett, this is what he does. He antagonizes everybody, just like you said. <laughs> this is bringing us if right I, down into I, the gutter. If I did that, I'd be like, Oh my God, I can't do that. No, I, I am. No, I'm. I'm, I'm going to host a podcast as well called the Digital Transformationist Podcast. And I did that to one of our first guests. And um, I tend to think I'm a pretty easy guest because you could just ask me like, hey. And then I would talk for like an hour. <laughs> um, but like, uh, There's this woman, uh, Lisa Atkins, but her the spelling said Lisa Atkins, but it's pronounced Lisa. So, of course, I get on the thing and I'm like, and we have our amazing guests. Lisa Atkins and she's like it's Lisa Atkins I was like oh my god <laughs> yeah. what yes. a fucking asshole yes yeah no I'm gonna go home and cry about think it about this all night now yeah now Ken's life is ruined yeah, I'll be crying in a shower eight months from now he's gonna message me later and be like what have I done Kahuna <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen please welcome glove and special sauce <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> smell the glove <laughs> well, spinal all tap alright guys all right, well, hey, thank, you thank you so, you much, so man. much man and uh, yeah, we really appreciate so it. And uh, yeah, and, and uh, we're looking forward to the Christmas album. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you live sometime again soon. All right. Happy holidays. Happy, yeah, happy holidays, man. Happy holidays. Thank you. Right, take care, man. Peace. All right. Take, take care. care. Bye. Ken, uh, G-Love, G-Love uh, I mean, w- w- your, your thoughts. I, I thought that was a great, uh, I thought it was a great interview. So much I fun. He was great. And uh, everybody go check out his NFT, which is out on the 19th. And his, uh, I'm really looking forward to his next uh, Christmas album coming back home, coming back home for Christmas. That's what he said. Yes, That's coming, coming back, back home Christmas. for Christmas. Coming out on Black Friday. Um, uh, I'm excited for all of you to f- follow him at G Love at Philly G Love. I think both of those he mentioned, and uh, follow me at Chip Chantry. Ken, uh, where should people follow you? Ken Krantz comic, and uh, follow the show at mm-hmm. I uh, at Rock and the and spout out Rock and Roll Pod on twitter yeah and kahuna what do you got going on uh i got some stuff myself coming out for the holidays i'm also going to be releasing a christmas record uh working title right now is in the key of christmas but uh and that should be out by november 22nd that should be coming out but i'll be releasing i think one or two singles until uh up and coming to all right where, where can people find that uh that'll be on my youtube channel uh I have a YouTube channel called Arcade Productions, but then the music will be everywhere available on Spotify, iTunes, Bandcamp, all the major sources. Also available on CD. Nice. So that'll be uh, old school. I love it. I love it. I, I, I'm going to get one to put it on my uh, rack right here. Sweet. I will sign it for you. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. But right. yeah, that's it. We will. Uh, we'll see you next week. Next week's episode is going to be great. By the way, yeah. let's, let's. I'm so excited. Let's for, this yeah. is, I, and by the way. Uh, Thank you, everybody. I was uh, I was out on the road for a little while. Thanks for everybody for uh, for holding taking it down the reins for you. and Ken taking the reins. Uh, I, I'm glad to be back for two killer episodes. We got this one, and then yeah. I don't want to give it away, but no, the next the one we're recording next one's going to be great, crazy. Chip, yeah. I'm so have, excited about. Chip, this. I do have to say it was an honor being Chip Chantry while you were gone. Hey, anytime if if, if there could be anybody who'd be Chip Chantry, it would be you. I'm so honored. <laughs> yes. Oh, All man. right. Yeah. See you next week, everybody. Take care.